Welcome to episode 56 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Thursday the 9th of April 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook, and today we're going to be talking about e-commerce during coronavirus. And I'm very lucky uh, today I've been joined by Luke Carthy, an independent e-commerce growth consultant. Luke, very, very happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I am chuffed to be here, man. Um, And I've got my super silky voice on. (laughs) it's kind of attacked my throat a little bit uh, oh it's, really it's kind of made me yeah when I get a sore throat or a cold it kind of makes me really kind of Barry White-esque and I'm not complaining so definitely perfect podcast, podcast for I'm happy but you're okay because <laughs> obviously at the moment you're making me sound nervous that you're saying you're, you've got cold symptoms you're, yeah you're okay. don't worry don't worry I'm good it's purely okay. pollen and the reason why I know that is because when I take my um my hate which I haven't today uh, everything disappears and goes away. I'm cool. Okay, glad to uh, hear it. So, how yeah. how are you getting on in isolation? I saw actually you said you delivered your first remote consultancy at the end of last month. How did that go? Yeah, that was. Um, I started it, been super anxious, if I'm honest. Um, little sprogs, little kids running around. I got a six year old and a two year old, and uh, yeah, I was a little bit anxious about that. And then the kind of the human element, right? The whole body language and been in the same room together and that's that's how I've always done consultancy so I kind of felt that something would be missing or taken away from the fact that um we're doing it online but it actually went really really well solid days consultancy and a couple of the things that um really jumped out that I didn't expect was the benefit of no one really having the pressure to take notes um because we could record the whole session uh, my client could have that as a, as a reference point or they could they could store it, keep it. But also when we did take some notes and follow up actions and some bits, we wanted to throw down some links. Um, we had a collaborative uh, document, you know, this is Google Docs or a Notion document just to collaborate on and, and make sure all our notes are collective. Any questions she had, she could throw on there and I could, I could respond to those. Um, so it worked out really, really well to the point where uh, I think going forward, I'll be offering uh, remote consultancy globally uh, going forward. So yeah. It's uh, it works really really well. I'm chuffed to pieces. That's really interesting. It's actually a similar experience uh, to to what we've had agency side. So we've done a few bits of remote training before, but obviously, like you now, uh, we've had to push everything from workshops to training to the in-house stuff we do uh, over yeah. video. And I've had a few clients initially say, "Well, I think we'd prefer it." you know, we prefer actually just to wait and do it in person. And I've managed to talk a few of those, uh, well, most of those people around. And actually, once they've done it, they said that was actually way easier than we thought it was going to be. Because I think a lot of people still have this, it's going to be like, you know, early 2000s Skype, everything breaking out. But with screen share, with collaborative documents, I actually found it really, really easy. And like you say, we've got the uh, the kind of shared experience of, you know, families in the background, pets, uh, people coming to the door I had during a workshop um, yeah. and everyone's actually kind of okay with it because I think we're all in the same same boat at the moment right yeah exactly that um, and it actually in a weird way we kind of had more rapport as a result of it because she um, has a young child at home I've got two young children at home as I may have already mentioned so it's like we kind of already put the disclaimers up and says look You know, things might go down. Like we might have just kids walking into shot and asking for a sandwich or something. But um, no, it it works really, really well, and I'm I'm super impressed. She's really happy, and uh, and yeah, long may long may this this kind of thing continue. But normally, uh, my clients are 
predominantly based in the UK on a, on a one-to-one consultancy basis. But uh, going forward, it will definitely be something that I do do internationally. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. I think that's interesting because we have seen a lot of companies go through this forced evolution of how they do business. So apart from people like you agencies like us doing consultancy remotely, we have seen a lot of companies change their offering, adapt it so they can move it online very quickly. And I think now everyone is obviously um, at home. I saw uh, you and Ran talking about how Cloudflare are reporting you know, huge increases of internet usage, like 20, 30, 40% in some cases. So I assume this means, um, among other things, we're getting new customers coming online that maybe haven't been online before and maybe not as confident about buying online. Is that is that something, what can companies do to kind of get a handle on this? How should they be adapting? Yeah, for sure. So I think there's there's definitely kind of two very clear trends, right? As you said, so traffic, internet usage is up, whatever capacity that is in, whether it's browsing or media um you know people watching stuff online uh or kind of you know looking on on e-commerce sites and looking at different businesses but i think what certainly we can see is that typically conversion is down right people are more cautious taking more time to buy or kind of creating uh wish lists if you like or or dream lists of things that they would want so what i'd probably say e-commerce businesses can absolutely do is try and capture an audience um via entertainment so maybe shift the kpi from conversion to getting them to buy to kind of getting them to buy at some stage in the future so to throw in an example idea i had an epiphany one morning while i was probably throwing porridge all my kids were throwing porridge around the uh, the dining room and um it just kind of happened where i thought well hold on a minute if no one's going to be buying clothes right now it doesn't mean that people don't want clothes it just means that you know people don't want clothes right now so why not be in a situation where you can encourage people to use your site, to browse, to build styles, to kind of maybe build some dream um, wardrobes? So I guess one, you've got a kind of entertainment edge, if you like. Um, two, you have a bit of a, a social uh, kind of isolation distraction. And three, you're getting bucket loads of data from people who want to combine styles together, frequent items that people are going to buy together when, when we basically move an entire season. So we're going to go from in the world of fashion um, from sort of spring summer to kind of to autumn winter in in june july because of course you know fashion brands are typically a quarter ahead of the calendar so it's very difficult for a brand to kind of not have any real conversion data and then try and work out what people are going to want to buy what kind of trends and fashion and and colors people want to wear so having the ability of allowing e-commerce brands to play with that and almost kind of add gamification if you like to to that kind of capacity could really, really be helpful. So you've kind of got the, okay, you're not spending right now, but let's make sure that you remember us when when this time's over or when you're more confident in buying stuff online. Um, and I think that could, that could be really powerful. So to kind of reiterate, less focused on the immediate sale. If you can, I appreciate that all co- companies kind of have the, uh, the financial, I guess, security to be able to do this, but this could certainly help buy-in um, from customers in the in the medium to long term. If we can break that down, because I think you've touched on three points there in terms sure. of e-commerce, which is um, firstly, the points we've made to clients is people are literally bored at the moment being at home. Yes. Um, e- even, even searches on Google just for bored and I am bored are like 10 times up at the moment. Yeah. Secondly, we've got, a change of behavior during 
um, during this period. So I think I saw you talking about, for instance, how loungewear searches are going right up in terms of fashion. So maybe yeah. people are thinking more about comfort and utility while they're at home rather than I will look good in this and other people will look at me. And then you've also touched on this post-trend. You know, there's lots of people in marketing talking about how a lot of things are going to come back in a vengeance and people are almost going to celebrate the things that they're, they're missing out on. Mm-hmm. So if we start, you've mentioned there about um, enter- kind of entertaining uh, people and having this social connection at, at this period. Is there any kind of process that companies can apply who should be involved how do you come up with these ideas um when you're saying you know about building a dream list um and actually i saw another really great example you have which i'd put into the kind of during uh this this time behavior which was for uh, nannies and childcare workers obviously you said they're likely to be losing out on income because they're not going to be going around houses yeah. and you you recommended they did a series of like potty training videos and blogs um because it's a great time you know searches are up so two great ideas i think that cover those first two points what would you say to companies how how because i think a lot are in this panic mode and getting blinkered and just we need to you know stop and we need how do they think like this yeah so it, i mean it sounds super cliche um but it's kind of getting to the mindset of what your your customers are doing if they're not spending money if they can't spend money whether it's a case that they don't have the cash or they, they, they're just not you know in the mindset of buying anything right now then what else would they be looking at so as a as a parent you know first thing we've got a two-year-old daughter and obviously we're all kind of locked up together um so why not take this opportunity to absolutely go in and, and capitalize on on potty training so but what, what you typically find is um, you've just got to try and think about if you were in this mindset, uh, what is it you'd be doing now in the world of isolation? If you couldn't get outside, if you couldn't go and walk to the to the shops, to the high street, what would you be doing instead? Um, so, I mean, another example, I guess, is this whole work from home movement where yeah, people who can, who will have the luxury to work from home, can do so. But there's also a lot of people who don't have the, the 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 tools, if you like, to work from home. So desk sales are going to be up massively. Um, and then you can maybe think about content ideas around the world of desks. So just to think of one off the top of my head, for example, uh, it could be something like how to prevent coffee ring stains on your brand new desk that you just ordered, for example, or best ways to organize in this situation, um, or how to turn something from... Uh, something lying around your house into a workspace. So not everyone, again, has the cash to go away and buy a brand new desk um, or has the space to go and fit a new desk. But actually, what kind of things do you, does, does the typical homeowner um, or someone living in a rental property have that they could use to turn into a desk? Um, so I have like a coffee table here. And for example, I might just have an idea where I sit on the floor and use that as a, as a desk platform from, from, from time to time. So I think to kind of distill that down as an answer, it's just kind of think about how you could communicate and better the lives of your customer customers, even if they can't necessarily buy from you right now. Um, and I think that really helps. And there's a lot of brands that won't necessarily be doing that, um, especially smaller brands, brands that are less fluid and digital um, and are less adaptable to change. I think it's really important to think about how you can help people get through this and then at the other end think about how you can turn that help um, into sales into brand exposure into conversion at some stage so i think it's you could describe actually as is quite a unique situation for brands in terms of it's very rare that 
everyone, including brands, has this shared experience, which gives you an opportunity to show empathy to your customers. Um, because there is always this very fine line in kind of normal times when brands, you know, are trying to, if they even if they're genuinely trying to show empathy, it is always met with skepticism a lot of time yeah. of, you know, oh, they just want our money. And I think it is a unique time to actually be able to offer something and be there for for those people at that time yeah I, th I think so i think so just i guess one final example just to throw on the back mm -hmm. of that is um google hangouts or google uh, g suite sorry so i don't know if you've seen but i got an email uh probably two weeks ago now and what they've done is take the basic package and give users the premium package or the enterprise package features which means you can now go away and record uh your google hangouts um, they save to the cloud and you can share them with your clients or your family or whoever it is you're talking to over Google Hangouts. And that's a really nice thing to do. They didn't have to do that. They could have absolutely, you know, done a cliche 10% discount off enterprise um, and cleaned up. But I think that's the difference between having a campaign that looks and smells like profiteering versus trying to help people. And I think, yeah, behind the scenes, there's absolutely going to be a commercial benefit there because Google now when you've had a taste of enterprise, there's a lot of people who will think, do you know what? I want that feature. I'm absolutely going to go and spend the extra 15, 20, 30 dollars a month or whatever it is to, to, to leverage that. But it's very much an empathetic move. It helps people out. And, I, and, and as a G Suite user myself, hey, I'm probably going to be an enterprise user going forward at the end of this because that is a feature that I absolutely can leverage now. Um, but, you know, using that kind of thing, what is your pain point for, for your audience in this and find a way to make it easier for them. Um, I think that would really be quite powerful right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're recording this podcast online at the moment with Zencaster and they've done exactly the same with their kind of free package. They've given us pro kind of level service at the moment. Um, it's also a good time to mention, um, again, I mentioned on an earlier episode, there is a website set up by a very kind chap who we've interviewed before called Dom Hodgson, which is searchstarterpack.com. And this lists a whole bunch of software uh, like Dom's Little Warden, uh, Yoast, OnCrawl, DeepCrawl, Majestic Sitebulb, lots of SEO type tools you can use in digital marketing that have kind of special offers, reduced prices, extended trials uh, during the coronavirus. So searchstarterpack.com if anyone does want to check that out. Um, awesome. So what I wanted to follow up there, Luce, was the 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 kind of second point, which was about the um, businesses adapting during yeah. this time to changing demand. So I've seen loads of people posting all the different uh, and some quite funny Google Trends graphs for things yeah. that you know are radically shifting from everything from people wanting shaved heads like mine to um, I found a ten times rise. I think it was ten times in people searching for stuff like DIY tattoos, which is kind of worrying. <laughs> yeah. um, but what can companies do apart from looking at Google Trends um, to get some data on maybe how search behavior is changing or how customer intent is changing? What where can they start looking at that to how they can adapt their business if they're still you know doing sales? Yeah, so outside of Google Trends, this is one I absolutely love, and it, it fits now perfectly. But it's it's the go-to for me whenever I want to look at any kind of search intel, and that is a website. If you have the luxury of having this, your internal search engine, your site search, um, because this is this is gold. I mean, the bigger the site, the the, the richer the data. Um, but to give you a perfect example, and something that I I wrote about in a post um, a couple of weeks ago now was, you know, Holland and Barrett, they're a big sort of healthcare 
slash kind of break it into pharma slightly um, brand here in the UK. And of course, you've then got Superdrug, which is again, a renowned kind of healthcare, uh, fashionable pharma kind of brand. Both of those brands must have, I mean, I can't prove it, I don't have the data, but they must have a good bunch of people going onto their site and searching for COVID-19 or coronavirus or, or synonyms of that particular word. Um, and of course, that right there is kind of the capital of what it is your customers are coming to you for, what it is they're now searching for, what is the things that they're looking for now that they weren't searching for, say, last month, or even as close as yesterday, or even maybe the last hour, depending on how much traffic and data you have. So leveraging your internal search queries is a really powerful way of, of understanding um, what things your user base is looking for that you may or may not be aware of right now. And the reason why I think it's a really big deal is because brands like Boots um, and again, Lloyd's Pharmacy in the same similar space of, as Holland and Barrett and Superdrug have done precisely that. So if you search for coronavirus, they give you an experience. They give you information, links to NHS Direct, links to resources, product categories you can go and take a look at and so on and so on. Now, no one's going to put that effort in if it wasn't a query worth worth looking at. Chasing is probably the wrong word, but it's, it's definitely a query that someone in the marketing team's thought of um, or they've got some report or automation somewhere that said, hey, this is a query that spikes in the last X number of days, hours. Um, go and check it out and see what's going on. But that would be my absolute first port of call is check out your internal search queries. That's really interesting. I think as well, people might even be looking for you know, they, they still are probably looking for the same products they always were. It's just changing the words they're using. I think a good example of that that we've had for, you know, decades, many years uh, is things like, you know, ibuprofen when you buy branded packets that say it's, you know, targeted back pain or specific migraine pain. And a lot of, a lot of the time it's actually the same tablets, um, but it's just people are looking, you know, I have back pain, therefore I need this. So the same thing I think is being if I understand what you're saying is, is being um, happening now, which is people are still looking for the same things that Boots have on Holland about have always sold, but they're just looking for it in context to what's going on. And that's a huge, huge opportunity if you're if you're actually missing out on that, right? Yeah, big time. I mean, I, I worked in, in uh, e-commerce pharmaceutical for, for a couple of years and there was a, a series of, um, of documentaries slash programs that were on Channel 4, and I forget the name of the program, but it was this kind of thing about shopping smarter um, and not necessarily go for big brands because there's, there's other products that are exactly the same at a, a lower cost. And one of the big ones that they spoke about was um, was, was drugs, over-the-counter drugs. So uh, paracetamol being one, um, hay fever allergy tablets being a second one. And, you know, everyone kind of feels that going for brands like Panadol um, or, or norofen are more effective or better somehow than say the regular supermarket branded paracetamol or ibuprofen or whatever it is and actually the active ingredient is exactly the same they're even sometimes made in the same factory the same facilities it's just the packaging you get at the end and then of course there's a huge difference in price you know you might be looking at three pounds something for a pack of norofen versus 30 40 pence for a pack of the exact same thing um, that's unbranded from, say, Tesco. And that made a massive swing in what we found in internal search queries, literally within hours of that programming going live. So rather than people searching for Norofen um, or, say, um, uh, what's that massive brand of allergy? Uh, Puritan, for example, or Piri, as it's called now, they'd be searching for Lorotidine instead, which is the active ingredient inside one of the Puritan brands. So being able to kind of adapt to that 
um, is really quite powerful. And, uh, you know, I didn't watch the program, so I wouldn't have realized it until I went down an internal search rabbit hole and connected it back to that program and realized, ah, this is why people have started searching for Pyrrhus or Pyritin less. But all of a sudden, these scientific drug active ingredient names are flying. Like, well, what's going on? Um, but yeah, it, it's really important to check that stuff out. I think it's just a really interesting whole side conversation there because I've seen the, the studies actually where they've reported that the pain relief from the branded tablets is reported as higher than the generic ones. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a placebo effect there, but I think especially with something like pain relief, which is uh, symptomatic, that reported pain relief and pain relief are the same thing, essentially. If someone yeah. doesn't feel they're experiencing pain then yeah you know by any measure they're not so i found that really interesting i think i've seen similar ones as well um when i've spoken to doctors and they're saying they've when they've run these trials that you know big red pills have better reported effects than small white pills um so i think there's a whole interesting kind of placebo psychology slash marketing thing there that yeah. maybe maybe we need to get a doctor on or, or um, someone that's done one of these studies uh anyway um for that for the businesses uh luke that maybe aren't you know that they aren't massively affected in that they're still doing online sales they're e-commerce yeah. um and maybe they're trying to make up for lost revenue in physical stores for these people conversion is more important than ever what kind of advice and i know it's a difficult question but what kind of advice can you give these companies if they haven't looked at you know conversion rates before where should they start what should their priorities be what should they be looking at um so okay one of the big ones um, or one of the, I guess, the starting points I'd like to, to jump into is, is for sure products that you get a lot of traffic on, um, but don't necessarily convert very well. And I guess everyone can go down rabbit holes and try and find out what it is, whether it's just low demand for that product, is the pricing right, is there something in the description that's inaccurate or ineffective? Um, but those sort of things are a really good point to start because ideally on larger sites, you, can, you may be able to identify a pattern. Um, where let's say, for example, you have an e-commerce store that has uh, an upwards of a thousand products and you can identify 150, 200 of them that have high amounts of traffic, um, but low conversion. You could definitely take a look at these and find if there's any themes. Could it be a lack of reviews? Could it be a poor product description and lack of an image? Um, could it be something more technical in terms of the, the, the page load speed? Are the images too large and therefore it's just taken forever? Is it in stock? Um, because, you know, I remember when I worked in-house, uh, we had a frequent call every single week or frequent meeting every single week, which is the whole up and down, week on week, month on month stuff. Why is this particular product or brand or category selling better or worse than it did before? And the absolute first piece of evidence I'd ever bring to that meeting is, is the item or items they're asking about in stock. Or were they in stock before and they're not now? Or were they out of stock before and they're now back in stock? This is a really big one because it doesn't matter how well and how effective your SEO, your pay search campaign, your landing pages are. If you don't have the stock, you cannot sell it. Um, so it's really important to make sure that of all the data you're looking at, first of all, is the price accurate? Um, and can I buy the bloody thing? Uh, so that's normally a really good point to, to jump into first. Um, second of all, I think one of the big wins I like to jump into again is how you manage your, your discontinued um, products. So it's it's a it's a whole topic in itself we could probably have an entire podcast just talking about this but if an item is out of stock or if a particular product is never going to come back into stock it's 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 kind of gone it's done 
there's still huge amounts of opportunity to get people to to look at that stock item that's no longer there and purchase something that's similar. Um, and there's a brand that does this particularly well, and it's, it's John Lewis, um, whereby let's say, for example, you go and look at Google for best laptop. Um, you come across an article that you really like from, say, 2019. You go to the link on that page, um, which points to John Lewis as a retailer, and then, ah, that's a shame. The laptop's no longer available. It, it doesn't exist. They don't make it anymore. However, rather than kind of just 301 redirecting it to a category or letting it 404, then how about saying, well, look, this Lenovo 13-inch yada yada isn't available, but actually they've replaced it for 2020, and this is the new model. Go and take a look at that. And that can be a really powerful way of kind of turning a product that you can't buy anymore, a dead product, if you like, into a potential sales opportunity. And when you apply that across potentially thousands or hundreds of different products, that can be a, a big change um, in conversion performance uh, across your brand or, or retail. Just a, a quest, very technical, specific question there. That, that's a really interesting strategy. We've we've talked to clients about all the different options around redirecting and sort of re-steering people over to um, to other products, and whether we leave discontinued products like that up, like you say, and say here's the nearest or most you know the updated version. Do you know index those pages if you if you're going to be dealing with you know a churn where after a few years it might be thousands of pages? Yeah, do you know what? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. So um, I hate to say these two words together, but it really... (laughs) I know what they're going to be. (laughs) Exactly. It depends, right? But the reason why I say that is because eventually all of these things should be no-indexed at some point. Um, But it depends on, you know, let's say, for example, it discontinued today, an item discontinued today. You may decide to take it out of the index immediately, or you may decide to have it in the index for, for a month, for three months, for a year. Um, it really depends on on what it is. So to give you a specific example, let's say um, you're in the world of sofas, uh, for example. The churn of a sofa is a heck of a lot slower than, say, uh, technology um, or something that's really granular like fashion, whereby your no-index time for fashion may be, say, a month, but your no-index time for a sofa may be 12 months because a sofa normally stays an entire calendar year before they replace it for next summer. Um but it really does depend on your situation. So the, the, I think one thing we can absolutely agree on is at some point they should know index for sure. But when that happens is is entirely up to you. But I think this is kind of where uh, SEO meets CRO and then meets UX because, yeah. you know, just because you've no indexed the page doesn't mean it's not important anymore because people can still get to these products from, you know, if let's say, for example, you had this item in last year's Black Friday deal, it's still a battling. Let's say uh, some, you sent an email out to someone a year ago and for some reason have stumbled across it and want to go and check it out again. There's still traffic from that particular thing, something you posted on social. Again, there's still traffic from that. So just because it's not in the index doesn't mean that page can no longer serve a purpose. Um, there's still technical documents that people might want, instruction manuals that people might need. They still might want FAQs. They might want to buy a used version of that on eBay, for example. So they're just Googling uh, specific examples. And I think moving into eBay really briefly, they have absolutely nailed this particular model. Because if you, you know, we all know eBay listings are relatively short lived. You know, you can have an auction or you can have a, a buy it now listing or a classified ad or whatever. Um, but imagine being in a situation where if you watched an item or you lost out on an item because the bid ended or you didn't want to pay that much for the item, 
if that item got 404 immediately after the end of the auction, how irritating would that be? Um, and also eBay couldn't get you in a situation of saying, hey, you've missed out on this, but there's one that's also uh, about to end in the next 24 hours that you can go and check out here. So, you know, the, the, the eBay have built a business model purely on discontinued products, dead auctions, items you can't buy anymore. And that is a, a really good example of how you can build uh, a really strong UX and CRO case from discontinued products and still considering SEO as well. Um, and to give you a very specific example, I found in a presentation I did on this, I think at Brighton SEO a year or two back, uh, that I found an, an, an eBay auction item for a VHS tape that was 10 years old, but it was still <laughs> active. It wasn't in the index, but it was a page that still existed. And it was for a super rare, exclusive Popeye, something like a really sort of poignant collector's piece. Um, and I imagine that still gets some traffic today. But what they're doing with that is sending people from that item that ended 10 years ago to similar items that are available today. Uh, and I think that's that's the whole kind of notion about how you can turn discontinued products into a CRO kind of situation. So while we're talking about um, platforms like eBay, so I'd, I'd class eBay uh, uh, places like Amazon as you know these um, other marketplaces where you can sell your products. If you're in a position where you're a small business or SME, you know, medium-sized business, you traditionally haven't sold online. And I've seen quite a few of these where they've suddenly gone, you know, eek, we need to start actually giving people away just to buy what what we're selling is it a good time for these people to start looking at marketplaces like uh, ebay stores and and amazon or and there's a second question here if smes do want this kind of pop-up e-commerce presence you know they're a bit behind the curve they need to move fast is there a platform and i know it does depend but generally you'd, you'd recommend to an sme you know i've seen people suggesting shopify woocommerce wix magento do you have any guidance for small businesses here they're in the situation of we have product it's possible to sell it online we haven't we need to get up and running as quick as possible yeah, for sure. So just to guess to answer the first part of that that question. So, you know, should small businesses get on a marketplace, Amazon, eBay? Um, absolutely. I think if, it, you know, if I had to just because I essentially started out on eBay, that was where my, my e-commerce, uh, you know, uh, debut, if you like, really started for me when I actually, that was all I sold on was eBay. And I sold um, HDMI cables right when HDTV first came out. Um, eBay can be really, really powerful, and I'd absolutely recommend people to go and, and, and make a, a thing of it. I think there's there's definitely pros and cons for it. Yes, the competition is fierce. Uh, yes, the fees can be expensive once you kind of tap in PayPal and your listing fees and all this sort of good stuff. But it, it I guess one thing it absolutely allows you to do is test the water without any real uh, investment outside of your kind of minute fees. So if you've got a listing you want to go and try out if you've got some copy you want to work on if you even want to understand whether you've got an audience for your product then ebay can be a really quick um test i guess litmus paper if you like to, to see whether there's a, a market there whether you want to list it or search for it and i think in terms of ebay intel and research i'd absolutely recommend a, a tool called terapeak which is kind of like sem rush for ebay and it allows you to kind of attach uh, eBay queries, so people who are browsing eBay and what they're searching for, to rankings of, of products and sellers and, and power sellers and how they're doing it and kind of the things that they are using 
to be the best in their particular category. Um, so moving on to, I guess, uh, the CMS of choice, the e-commerce platform of choice, then I have two favorites um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is absolutely WooCommerce. Um, I think WooCommerce is, is brilliant. And the other one is Shopify. And I'll, I'll jump into to both reasons on those in a second. So Shopify is kind of like a quick, low barrier to entry way of building a site and getting something out into the market space um, that can help you out. But as many SEOs know, it's got a glass ceiling. Um, and I don't really like the retainer model. I don't like the fact that you have to pay each month for a front end, if you like. Um, so, you know, Shopify is great. It looks good. It's an easy checkout. Again, it's really easy to set up. You can, you can customize the design, but your checkout always looks the same. Your SEO has a glass ceiling, your CRO opportunities and, and how you integrate Google Analytics with things like uh, data layer and, 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 you know, bits and pieces like that is a challenge. But saying that, if you're a small business um, and, you, you know, you're not necessarily tech savvy, and you don't necessarily want to go and go and consult the help of a, a web designer or something like that, then Shopify absolutely has its place in the market. Of course, it's a big deal. I think if you're a little bit more tech savvy and have a little bit more time, then I would always recommend people go with WooCommerce. And the reason why is it kind of gives you all the benefits of what Shopify would with a slightly higher technical um, entry point but it's a heck of a lot more flexible from an SEO point of view, from a design point of view, from customization. Um, and I think to give you one really good example, when it comes to e-commerce, your internal search engine is literally the single most important part of, of any e-commerce site, um, in, in my opinion. So with WooCommerce, you can use plugins. Um, and I don't mean plugins as in like the WordPress repository. I mean, there's some really powerful search engine providers like DoFinder, like SLI, um, loads of different search providers where they bolt straight into WordPress and you can have an enterprise-esque search engine with prediction and, and AI and all sorts of cool stuff for a low cost versus Shopify, which you have to use their native internal search, which isn't particularly great. So I'm guessing with that information, it then depends, you know, once I've relayed that to a potential client, it's then a case of allowing them to kind of think, right, do I want something really quick? Do I not want something with a technical payload? Or am I okay to go and spend a, uh, a little bit more money and get onto WooCommerce? So I'd normally say they're the absolute two pivotal startup, you know, CMS e-commerce platforms to go with. Luke, that's really, really great advice. Um, we're running now. We've done about just over 30 minutes. So I'd just say, is there any last tips you want to share for businesses? Maybe I think something really interesting we haven't covered is how, how should businesses approach messaging around coronavirus? Is it important they talk about it? Have people heard enough about it? What What would your recommendations be on that? Yeah, again, a really a really uh, solid question. Again, so I think one one big anxiety that people have got at the moment, you know, if somebody wants to buy from you, one of their first questions they have right now is, are they still trading? Um, and if they are still trading, can they get the goods out to me in a reasonable amount of time? Um, they're two questions that I guess are more important than ever at the moment. So things like live chat on the site will really help because it kind of adds a bit of a, uh, a bit of humanity to a, to a very technical, you know, um, digital front end. Um, and I think being very clear with it and saying, look, okay, you know, we've been impacted by coronavirus. And as a result, you know, orders may take a couple of days, a week longer to process than normal. And yes, 
although you may lose some sales as a result of being transparent, I think you have to also think about your reputation. The last thing you want to do is, is for someone to pump money into your business, expecting it to happen in, in next day, because that's what your, your latest copy says that you didn't change since 2019. So then expecting next day delivering it not happening. It'd be a heck of a lot better for you to have um, maybe like a top banner or something where, you know, it's on your site that says, hey, look, you know, we're all working here. We're all trying our best. There's going to be some delays. Um, and again, that, that live chat to be able to just kind of, if anyone's got any immediate questions, you can answer them quite quickly. And I think off the back of that, if you have some really powerful FAQs that potential customers keep asking you, then build a page for it. Build a page that tells them, are you still open during the coronavirus? It could be one major FAQ. Um, you might even be in a situation where you decide to extend your returns policies because people can't get to the post office as fast or they're not collecting your orders as fast. These little things here can maybe make it easier for someone to buy from you than say buying from Amazon or another competing retailer. Um, but I'd say absolutely be as transparent as you can. Thank you, Luke. That's a brilliant answer. And thank you so much for giving up uh, your time to speak to me. So I really appreciate it. It's been fun to speak to another adult, mate, to be honest. You've done me a favour. So, uh, but no, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. If you want to find out any more about Luke, you can check out his website at lukecarthy.com. We will be back on Monday, the 20th of April. As usual, you can find the show notes, all the links to everything we've spoken about today and a whole transcription of this podcast at search.withcanda.co.uk. If you are listening online, remember you can subscribe to Search with Candor on basically any podcast app you can find. Um, so please do that. Stay safe and I will speak to you all next week. Cheers.